Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 14, The Reply Briefs. Prosecutors v. Adnan Part 3 and 4. There was a lot covered these past two weeks. Bob discussed the rest of the timeline on January 12th and also had a deep dive into the Nisha call. Bob is back from his adventure, and the three of us are back in studio ready to discuss it all. All right. First things first. Uh, first of all, hello, everybody. I'm super glad to be back. Uh, our patrons get a full hour-long detailed breakdown of my of my trip. But before we before we dig into that, I want to get right into it because we did cover two episodes this week. There's a lot to get into, and I am. This is the first episode where I'm really curious about your thoughts because the, which one? Well, the the fourth one. Okay, uh, where where they covered the Nisha call because that is like meat and potatoes, very you know evidence data driven information, and so you heard me do my breakdown of it where you heard all the facts everything laid out on the table and then you went in and listened to how they presented that same information how, what did you what was your takeaway so i'm gonna back up for just a second and, get, and i get too crazy i didn't know the whole theory was that she was murdered in a best buy parking lot that's really the fucking theory yeah that seems absurd to me welcome to this case that's yeah. that's that's it's so crazy we're so into the we talk about losing the forest for the trees like we get yeah. so into the weeds I think I do mention a couple times that how like ridiculous it is. All I knew is that Hay leaves and they find her body in Lincoln Park. Yeah. And and I know that there's some like there's this trunk pop, but I didn't and I know there's a the meeting at Best Buy, but I never realized that like the theory was she was murdered in the Best Buy parking lot. Yeah. So this is the thing that I find ridiculous about it. The idea of them like of things getting out of hand and and her being strangled in the parking lot isn't like Totally out of the question because uh, evidently that was one of the places where they would go sneak away and have sex. There's like a remote part of the parking lot. The thing that gets me is then dragging her body out of the car around to the back and putting her, picking her up and putting her into the trunk in the Best Buy parking lot Mm -hmm. is where I'm like, okay, nothing's that remote. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know this exact Best Buy, but when we see Best Buys all over the place, they don't seem like they have any, even like the back lot isn't that remote. Yeah, and someone could always pop out for a smoke break or yeah. anything. I said, when you get into like dragging the body around to put it in the trunk, that's where you lose me. It seems absolutely absurd to me. <laughs> Sorry, I know that I'm like the last person to realize this. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> but that's what's great about it. Yeah, and you guys are like way off on stuff, and I'm like surprised by the big things yeah. still. So That's good. It puts it in the, a different perspective. The one thing, so I'll, I'll, I won't go into your bit at first, but the one thing is they continue to 
sound unbiased. There's a lot of times that they try to come across, they'll mention things. I know in episode three, they talk about one of the calls um, being a red herring, which we kind of agree on. So they seem like they're trying to play that real unbiased, like, hey, we're just giving you the facts here. Um, There's another spot where they talk about the serial drive test. And they're like, they even concede, they're like, that's too close. There's no way that that could happen. You know, again, kind of really alluding to the the fact that they're being unbiased with their presentation. Yeah, they're very good at disarming you. Yes. Particularly up front. So it's like, mm-hmm. hey, I agree. The 236 call couldn't be the, yeah. the come get me call. Yeah, I mean, so it's it, they are very charming. The whole idea that the Anisha call is a way for them to create an alibi seems bonkers to me, too. Yeah. Even if Adnan did this, he's in the middle of this and he's just going to call his new girlfriend non-panicked what you know what i mean like to try to come up with like hey yeah no i'm fine everything's good yeah now look i created a alibi for myself that never ever gets brought up anywhere right it's it's fucking bonkers to me mm-hmm. yeah i agree i have a ton of notes that i also took on episode three cool and they're all shorthand so i can't remember what half of them are now because it was a week and a half ago less cool <laughs> this will be fun just read them so on episode three, uh, they talk about covering or lying to cover small things. And I think we've seen this in past cases with like Ed yeah. a couple other times. And they, they talk about Adnan says, hey, called him. And the records show that he actually called, hey, and there's a bunch of back and forth about that. And, and again, I think you allude to it that they're like, well, Adnan's lying and that's not OK. But then like when Jay lies, it's OK because Jay lies. Right. But I think, again, that's just like, that's a teenage thing, right? That's nothing weird to me that he talked to Hay that night. Somebody's going to say that they talked to each other. This is before, he doesn't know anything about the murders. This is before all the murders. Right. He's trying to seem cool to his friends and whoever else. Like, oh yeah, she called me wanting to get back with me. Yeah. That doesn't seem super out of place. And like the whole ride situation, Hay giving him a ride to track practice again, we did that all the time. And I guarantee the school that I went to is a much smaller campus. Yeah, Woodlawn's big. I've been there. Yeah, this is, and we did it at a much smaller campus going to practice because it was it was 200 yards behind the school. And we already had to get in a car. You know, I mean, there was cars parked there that were driving out there. So why would you walk if you could get a ride? So there's a lot of little things that I think that people are trying to use against Adnan that I don't really see as anything at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, there still could be a lot. And then the point where... uh where she just tries to explain how vision works to me. Seemed very awkward for a podcast. Wait, what? What part? Uh, Alice in part three of the prosecutors versus Adnan is explaining how vision works because she's trying to explain how memory, you fill in blanks in the memory and you, you fill in the blank in your vision. And I don't know, it seemed like a weird rabbit hole to, to just kind of put you off in a corner. Well, there's somewhere. a lot of that, right? Where they're trying to... To me, it feels like very much like smoke and mirrors, like, who are you going to believe me or your own eyes? That kind of thing. It's like, yeah. listen, I know he said this, but, you know, they, they like to tell you this is this is very normal. This is not that's that's how things work. That's how your eyes work. Stuff like that, where they like, you know, just try to set you at ease that pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Uh, I have the it says the 245 to 1245 slide about Debbie. Oh, yeah. That's so that was something I mentioned I, that I made a note of. I don't remember exactly what it was for. I know that they they said that there is a 245 sighting, right? And that they they're trying to push it to 1245 and they make a whole reasoning why that makes because sense. Because back when I was in school, Zach, I only remembered what was before lunch and after lunch. So, 
12.45 could have been 2.45 because it was after lunch. And also don't pay attention to the fact that we also said Adnan wasn't back to school until one o'clock. Oh, shit. I missed that part. I mean, I didn't miss it, but now that you say that. Yeah. There's all kinds of things like that where they oh. where they conflict. And of course, I don't remember. Did I get into it yet in this episode where I break down Debbie's statement where she says that he is like talking about track practice and is carrying his track clothes, getting ready to go to practice? I don't think so. It's in I think four, it's in a later episode. I think. No, I think it's in four. No, it's not in four. It might be in the second part of four because yeah. the first part of four is all the Nisha call. That's all he breaks yeah. down is the Nisha call. Boy, I just listened to four and I that's so fresh in my mind. Yeah. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe well, I missed it. Maybe spoiling a little bit, but we go. But but uh, but when you go into into the 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 full details of her of her statement, she specifically not only does she say that he has his track bag, he's talking about going to track practice. It is definitely after school. They specifically ask her, what, "Do you need an appointment?" And she said, "No. If you go during school, you have to have an appointment. But after school, it's a free for all." And they're like, "So did you have an appointment?" She's like, "No. It was after school." They they left all of that out and instead say she must be thinking confused and it was actually 1245 when it's very obvious that it was after school when that happened and here's another one that i feel like i have written down that actually it makes sense to me now but it feels like them talking in circles to try to make their points sound good they said if he is guilty he would have done the same thing he was doing if he was innocent which is just like that's what they said in the podcast i listened to it three or four times and have it quoted in my phone yeah that i'm like are they're just fucking talking in circles right there they're trying to confuse me. And clearly I'm easy to confuse. So <laughs> I mean, so I just I these all the inconsistencies, it just I know I said this before, but it just it just reminds me of someone who wrote a paper in school based on a friend's paper because they didn't do their homework. And then they're asked and then they're talking about the paper and, and they sort of maybe get some stuff wrong, but they don't know they've gotten it wrong because they don't know the case well enough. Because it's not their research. It's not yeah, their experience. Yeah, I mean, that's that's yeah. what keeps... When, when, when you call out specific things and they're just in direct conflict with something that was said moments before, I can't wrap my head... Because, I, I again, I give them the cred of, like, being very smart people. And so, like, I'm a smart person and I was a good student when I was a good student. But if I tried to pull some shit and cheated on something, like, that's the time that I would be like, uh, yes, yeah, so, um... So one o'clock, uh, this happened, and as you can see very clearly, uh, twelve forty-five, there he was. Like that's, you know what I mean? And it would take someone being like, "What are you talking about?" And then I'd be like, "Hmm, what did I just say? Uh, let me check my notes again." Oh shit! The best example of that that's very immediate was in, I think it was in episode two where they were talking about track practice. Maybe it was episode three where they, I don't remember which one it was. It's been so long ago, but but were they were they in like the same breath say? So he dropped him off at track practice at four. And then he picked him up at track practice at four. And it was just like, wait, what? It was like, I had to go back like 10 times. Like, yeah. what? You don't notice that if you're reading an outline that doesn't necessarily, it, you didn't put the time in. I, I don't know. Like, I, again, I'm trying to be positive and give them a pass. Like, oh, you're advancing an idea that I'm not sure you even really know what you're saying. Like, hey, Brett and Alice, like, hi, you guys are funny and great. Why would you d do this? Like, this does not, doesn't make sense. <laughs> You guys, you're smart. What are you doing? Like, no. I feel like you're so close to a bless your heart. Bless your hearts. The one thing I wrote, and I quote, I wrote, uh, more cell tower and sector data. Because um, we went real deep in the woods last season on that mm -hmm. with the sector data, which I know is a big deal for this. Also, you this is part of your episode in part three. You talk about them buying drugs from Patrick. Yeah. 
Is this like a known, like, I don't know, like, again, I don't, I'm literally learning all this stuff. So this update, we'll get into more later, but um, actually this week for the patrons, the ones that's coming, I get into Jay's statement. Okay. But there's a, there's a number on the the call. Also, I should point out, I do correct this in the episode, in a further episode, but in in this episode, when I was re-listening to it, I keep talking about a 345 call. There was no 345 call. I kept thinking there was a third option. Because by your episode four, I feel like you, that's not there anymore, but. It was in episode four because I kept thinking there was three options for the come get me, 236, 315, 345, oh. but there is no 345, and I, I correct that later. Yeah. But uh, at 348, there's a call out to a number that's identified as Patrick, who Jay identifies as his dealer. That's who Jay gets his weed from. Okay. Because that was just a weird thing to me that I was like, I don't know anything yeah, about yeah. drugs from Patrick. But mm-hmm. all right, I'll shut up now. No, no. I mean, it's a it, these. Well, are I still want to know questions. about the Nisha. What do you think about the Nisha call after listening to all that? Because that was like a whole episode just on. So the whole idea of the Nisha call is crazy to me. And it seems like it's very verifiable to me. If you start breaking down like where she's talking about that, if she talked to Jay, she's only talked to Jay one time. Mm-hmm. And she seems very solid in saying that it was when he worked at the adult video store. Mm hmm. And I don't feel like that's just something you forget or make up yeah. for any yeah. reason. Yes. So, I mean, timeline, if you if you know when he works there, that seems like it's a pretty verifiable thing Yeah. to me. And you were also there. I, obviously, you were part of the panel where we talked about this at Obsess Fest. Yeah. Where we talked about, like, just the timing. Yeah, the time of how, like, they couldn't have been in the car together because yeah. the timing just doesn't work. And I, and I think you did a really good job of breaking that down. I mean, you even gave it some pretty preposterous timeline on on the good end of it. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? Like they try to help them. Yeah. And it still didn't line up properly for yeah. the Nisha call to work. And I think, I think you hit something on the head too. You know, it's a, it seems like a long call, but if it's a landline and she doesn't have anything, it would just ring. Right. It would just ring and ring and ring. And eventually, I mean, I don't know if someone would hit the button again or what it would be, but it doesn't seem that preposterous that it's a, a butt dial to me. Right. Especially that, that time of day. Mm-hmm. It, the, the interesting thing to me was when you listen to, obviously you listen to me, to me, it is very clearly and easily proven that mm-hmm. that was not the, it was not the two of them together making that phone call. It's impossible. It's literally impossible. Yeah. But then after that, you went and listened to them where they, the way they told it, it was very obvious that it was the two of them together. So, I, I mean, I did. Here's the problem I have is I think because I listened to you, I was immediately rebuttaling it in my head as they're saying it. I almost need to listen to the episodes the other way, I think. Mm-hmm. Instead of listening to you first and listening to them. Well, what but my hope was that you would do, not that you'd be rebutting them the whole time with, because I tried not to give my opinion, just to give the facts. For you to have the actual facts in your mind, for you to experience hearing them give you a different set of facts. Okay. You know what I mean? So like when, yeah. they're, when they're saying the call happened when Nisha said it happened, when it actually she said it happened in the evening, but it was at 3.30, stuff like that, like. I, I kind of wanted you to have in your mind, like, that's not true. That's yeah. not true when you're when you're hearing it. So you actually know the facts before they present. And I don't know what's the right order. Yeah, that's a lot to synthesize. I think this week I'm going to go the other way. Yeah. I think for this new episode, I'm going to go the other way and just see what happens. Yeah. That'd be I good. think you should I, do that. I, because I'm try- I am trying to go in and, and try to learn the case as best I can from these two episodes. But I, I do feel like, I don't know, I feel like either way I'm going to listen, I'm going to be a little biased, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like if I listen to your episodes first, I go in kind of trying to figure out what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then if I go into their episode, I've already got my mind made up by the time I get to yours. Well, maybe that's better because because that, that's kind of the idea is 
everything I'm sharing in, in the reply brief series is actual facts, the full facts. And the whole, the whole reason I'm doing it is because they're presenting things as facts that aren't. Yeah. So maybe that's better for you to like go and let them make up your mind. Okay. And then go through and hear, oh, now that I hear what the actual facts are, does that change your opinion or does it leave you in the same place? Yeah, I think that's the order I need to go in. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. Okay. I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GC became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. I know we got a bunch of listener questions, so let's get into that. Also, hi, Janet. Uh, hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think you, you mentioned it a moment ago, but there is there are a couple of things coming in an upcoming reply brief that address just a couple of the things that you mentioned, like the like the extra call or like, the you know, the call that doesn't exist. And there's a, a little bit of stuff around Inez and, and her testimony or her, or her interviews and when they happen and all that stuff. So that's that's coming up. And I think I, the, the Inez stuff, didn't I front run that last week? I tried to get that out ahead of time that I make a mistake on that. Oh, was follow-up. that last week? You know, see, this is a problem because I, yeah, I think you did in the follow-up, it, but not in the. It, right. Yeah. I yeah. wanted to let everybody know in the follow-up. I do correct it in the episode, but I, in the follow-up, want to let people know that Inez's statement, there was another police statement before that one yeah. with the county, not with the city where the wrestling match is back again for that one before it so she's not yeah. quite as reliable as i because I, I was leaning on her pretty heavy in this episode so i want to let you guys know before you heard it that 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 gets more complicated later yeah we have some we definitely have some inez mentions and i didn't want to just throw them away but i felt like we should kind of put that lens on it when we're talking about them but before we get to that uh just a couple of you know pure thanks from rihanna and or rihanna and jennifer um, I'll just read a, b- a bit of Jennifer's just saying she appreciates the reply briefs. She says, when I first listened to the prosecutors, I was really confused because honestly, I had listened to so much so quick that everything was a blur. I'm really loving this recap and rebuttal. Adnan is uh, absolutely 100 percent innocent. And Rihanna had said something similar, which was sort of like, thank you for helping me undo the mental gymnastics that I had had to do by listening to their their coverage. So that's from them. Kelly J just uh, popped in to say, I thought I had remembered that the track coach didn't remember if Adnan was at practice, but we've talked about that. You know, well. I don't know if we've talked about it on here yet. And and I, I and even really in the reply brief, I get it in more detail later. But yeah, so that that was a, the thing with Coach Sai is when he's interviewed and in and, and a few, it may even be the episodes coming this Sunday. I get into it deeply. His statement to the police was that he doesn't remember what day it was but what he does remember was that there was a warm day in january where they they were able to practice outside they can't practice outside unless it's above 55 degrees or something like that and there was one day in january where it was warm where they practiced outside and adnan was fasting because of ramadan and he had adnan was stretching and walking and he walked the track with him and he talked to him about ramadan and why they're fasting and stuff like that and he says that he was he he arrived on time and he left on time that day, but he can't say that it was January 13th. And sadly, 
Gutierrez, Adnan's attorney, didn't she didn't connect a lot of dots that had she connected would have made things a lot better for Adnan. Because what we know now is that there was only one single day during Ramadan when it was warm enough to practice outside, and that was the day of the murders on January 13th. So it's very even Brett and Alice agree that Adnan was at track practice January on January 13th. They well, as we mentioned earlier, there's that you know it, it, at one point they say Jay dropped him off at four and picked him up at four. Another time they say they dropped him off later. Jay says he took him back to track practice after sunset. Sunset was at like 5.08 p.m. And so they say clearly that means he dropped him off at four o'clock. Uh, like none of the times work or any of that stuff. But they're all over the place. But what they do agree is he was at track practice that day. They say he got dropped at track practice simply to be seen to create an alibi. They also say that he started that conversation with Coach Sai in order to create an alibi, even though Coach Sai's statement specifically says that Coach Sai is the one who initiated the conversation. So why and when he was there, we very much disagree on. I'm not even giving you my opinion. I'm just giving you what Coach Sai said, that he was there on time. He left on time. The very, you know, He's stretching. And as we mentioned, well, that was at the, the panel at Obsessed yeah. Fest, but you stretch at the beginning of practice. And that's what he was doing when Coach Sai was talking to him. Right. But their their take on it is that he was there just to create an alibi. My take is that he was there just because he was there and he's supposed to be there the whole time. But nobody disagrees, even them who believe that Adnan is guilty. No one disagrees that Adnan was at track practice on January 13th. Right. Uh, I want to just call up uh, Colin, who does bring up Inez, because Inez made different statements at different times, and it's very difficult to tell what she was being influenced by when she was making those statements. We'll get into that in in this future episode. But I do want to call out, Colin says she would have left, says Hay would have left school around 2.45, 2.50, presumably if there was a queue of people waiting to buy stuff when Hay got the drink and hot fries, which you did mention in episode four. It would have been there sometime before Inez left. Do we have any time frame for this? What time did the snack shop open? What was the earliest she could have left the school? And then Donna says, and why didn't the other kids waiting for snacks get interviewed or come forward? So the reason I wanted to just pull this out is some of these questions we don't have the answers to, but that's part of the problem, right? Like no one else yeah. was talked to about whether they saw Hay waiting in line. If there was, if Inez described a, a line of kids waiting to get snacks, it's unfortunate that there's no yeah. evidence of anyone else being asked, et cetera. Yeah, the, the, the best we get is Inez relaying what she the conversations that she had had with other people that were there. So she says everyone there said that that Adnan wasn't there to so something to that extent, you know, implying that she had asked other people, did anybody else see Adnan? She said that the car was running and she just ran up. And, but, but as far as like this whole case, if you're of the mindset that the police knew they didn't have the right guy. And that is, again, I say it in one of the episodes, but a couple of the episodes, it's not my belief is not like some grand conspiracy theory where they sat down and said, let's frame Adna. I don't think that's it at all. I think that they they got that anonymous tip, which we haven't covered yet, that there was an anonymous tip to look into him. So they pull his phone records. They talk to Jay and they realize they they do what they do. Ritz and McGillivary do what they do. It's been documented in four other cases. They get Jay. According to Jay, when they contact him, he gets caught with a bunch of weed and they start leaning on him and pushing him and threatening him. And eventually he says, Adnan did it. And so at that point, I think I think there was a time when they believed that Adnan did it. And then once 
they get the statement and it's all over the place and it's impossible. And so that I think they're in the position where on one hand, we have a witness who is saying that he knows for a fact he's a direct witness to the murder. That's an easy case to close. On the other hand, it doesn't look like he really did it because this guy doesn't know anything. So when you're in that circumstance, if you're guys like Ritz and McGillivary, then the last thing you want to do is go gather more information. Right. You don't want to go talk to 20 people that all saw Hay drive out without Adnan because it'll ruin your case. So that's why we don't have the As far as when the stacks, snack stand opened, I don't know. I assume pretty close to after school, but that's an assumption. As far as Inez, she said in her interview, it was a little unclear. She said something like her that she knows she left by like 250 because her kid's bell rings at 245 or something like that. So she had to leave by then. We know that if there's the whole thing as far as what time Hay had to pick up her cousin, if she had to pick her up at three, it's an 11 minute drive. So she would have to leave by 249. But there's still some ambiguity there between was it three or 315. So it's hard to know exactly when she had to go. Just going back to Ritz McGillivary, I mean, I think it's totally possible that they did think he was the guy the entire time. And that's not because they had any good reason to. It's just that cognitive dissonance of a cop who is told by someone like it's the tunnel vision thing that you always talk about. They can both be bad cops who lie and break rules and falsify stuff and still also be bad cops in the way that they aren't even willing to look at the possibility that it's not him. They're just ignoring bad evidence to such a stubborn degree that they are like, Nope, we got the right guy. Tunnel vision, tunnel. Like, I won't. I'm la 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 la. Like, I don't care. I'm so sure he's the right guy. I'm willing to falsify evidence for it. But that's just also bad cop, like bad police work. It's just a different kind of bad police work. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that if that's the case, then they're incredibly stupid. I guess that's the rope I'm giving them. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like in order for that to be true, they have to be complete idiots. Like, Uh. like if Jay can't tell them where the car is. And Jay can't remember where he showed him the body. And, and and they have to literally like lay out a the second interview is super interesting. If you haven't heard it or read it, like Jay gets so confused. They're literally telling him, you know, there's the whole tap, tap, tap thing. And 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 uh, Brett and Alice will later criticize that and kind of joke about, oh, tap, tap, tap. But it's literally you can hear them tapping through a list. And then you hear Jay say, oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, I missed the top spot and goes back and reread something and then at one point he gets so flustered jay says can we turn the tape off for a minute can we turn the tape off for a minute so he can like recompose himself and figure out like where he's supposed to be in the story like if they're if all that's going on and they Mm -hmm. still think yeah but this guy really knows something then they're they're morons i'm just saying you know how cops are if if no there's there's still such a problem with police officers believing that they could ever elicit a false confession from someone that they are just so stubborn about that like that's the same attitude as the prosecutor like the basic story lines up this guy would never put himself at the scene of a crime he would never say that this guy killed someone if they didn't kill him so we just have to go from there whatever bullshit this guy's spinning he's spinning for some reason but the but the crux of it is nobody's going to give us a false confession that's not a thing he's not going to put himself in the middle of this story just because we threatened him a little bit with some pot like no big deal This guy's not going to do that. You know what I mean? It's just, again, it's a cognitive dissonance. It's like amazing 
what our brains will let us get away with that doesn't make any sense because it protects our point of view and perspective about the world and makes us feel safe. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's possible, but I will. I would trust them with my life. I'm totally kidding. I do not care for those cops. But yeah, it's possible. But I, I maintain that if that's the case, they are the dumbest people on the planet. I mean, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm open to that. So Sarah says when Adnan says he called Jay, Jen says it also. Are they calling him on a landline or does he also have a cell phone or pager? If Jay was a pot dealer, even small time, seems like he would need a way for people to get in touch with him. Yeah, so I, I don't think that Jay was quite the pot dealer that he made himself out to be. I think that was part of the because as far as I know, he did not have a cell phone or a pager that the call from the call record was Adnan calling Jay's house, calling the landline. So, yeah, it does seem odd that someone who is a drug dealer doesn't have a car, doesn't have a phone, doesn't have a pager. It seems to me that his drug dealing was that he bought pot from a drug dealer and got a little extra and would sell some to some of his close friends. He was the hookup. But it's also possible that that Adnan was hoping or it happened that Adnan did have a cell phone and a car. And so that was a reason that Jay was wanting to spend time with him or that they both wanted to spend time with each other is like, hey, I got this hookup on your end. You got the stuff I would need. To be able to like make a little, you know, money, a little side hustle. We both like to smoke weed. Yeah. Like maybe we can make a little money. Again, that doesn't make anyone a murderer. Um, uh, other question from we got a couple questions from Sarah. Uh, Sarah also says, do we know if lens crafters typically called employees if they were late for work? And do we know if they called hey this day? Oh, that's a good question. I I, I feel like they did, but I, I I can't speak with any certainty on that. But I, but I feel like I recall that they did because. Well, we later found out that it was Don's stepmother who called, but they called Don asking if he had seen her is the story, right? That they had called him and and asked if he knew where she was. So you would assume that they would have called her first. I, I, I do not remember with certainty, though, if that's the case. I don't either. A call to Hay from LensCrafters asking about a missed shift or a late shift has not really been a consistent part of the narrative no. as we understand it. No, but as an interesting thought, especially with yeah. everything, now that you know the relationship between everybody, it, you know, if the story becomes, well, I called Don. If there's no call, what does that mean? Because that could mean something different, I understand. But there was a supposed call to Don to ask him. But there's too many unknowns there for us to really right. make anything out of Fair that. Fair enough. But I thought, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a worthwhile question to ask and... I appreciate that. Um, Sarah says, I've asked this before, but I think it was a smaller group and maybe good for a larger group to hear. Did investigators check to see where Nisha and her parents were this daytime to confirm if anyone was even home to answer the phone? Uh, of course not. I mean, they, they ask her in the interview, which was in April, months and months later, they ask her about it. And she was, you know, she talks about when she might have gotten home from school and her parents, I don't think, would have been home by then. Uh, remember, it's 3.30 in the afternoon, so her parents, I believe, are, are probably still working. But no, of course, they don't investigate that because, again, you don't want any bad evidence. And in keeping with that, Sarah, I got bad news for you. Your next point. Do we know if, if Jay got Stephanie a gift that day? If he was at the mall during some of these calls, he should have a receipt. We do know that he got her a gift because her interview, which I don't know if I've covered yet, but she says that he came by and gave her, it was like a bracelet 
It was jewelry. I, I want to say a bracelet and a ring might have been a bracelet and a necklace, something that was like two items that he had given her. But he, but actually, I believe she said he didn't give them to her till the next day that they like stopped by and saw her that night. And then she thinks the next day is when he gave it to her. Okay. Jetem, who has an amazing name. Jetem had a, a very long post. Jetem, I, I'm shortening the essential, es- like the sort of essence of your post just for time's sake. Um, but you had some interesting uh, questions and thoughts about the Nisha call. I just wanted to read this this excerpt. You say this short duration of this call also seems inconsistent with a teenager calling their new girlfriend. I know I used to talk for ages with most people, especially people I was close to. And uh, even if it was supposed to be quick, were most of Anand's calls to Nisha, hey, or close friends lengthy or quick? And did Nisha say how long the call was where she talked to Jay? Uh, I don't think she said how long it was, but th- there are definitely some much longer calls where Adnan does talk to Nisha for longer periods of time throughout the rest of the records. As far as it's a good point, but I try to stay away from things like what would I do or how long would somebody because there's, there's just too many variables there. Mm-hmm, fair enough. Sue says Adnan, this is kind of backing up, I think, what you talk about a little bit in the episode, in episode four, but Sue says Adnan couldn't have been setting an alibi for Hayes' murder because he didn't know when she was killed. Concerning Adnan's defense, his attorney wasn't made aware of the state's timeline theory before he went to trial. How were they supposed to form their defense case? Well, yeah, I mean, that was a huge deal. If you read through the docket and all the motions they're filing, like Adnan's defense attorneys are furious because you know, they, they're they told he's arrested. They're told that there's a co-conspirator that gave a statement. They don't know who it is. I, I say this in an episode you'll hear later, the patrons have already heard it, that you have to think about this from Adnan's perspective. What we do know is that Adnan never told them it was Jay. We do know that in, I think it was September or August, when they finally find out that it's Jay Wilds is the co-conspirator, but they're not given the statement, so they don't know details. All they know is Jay Wilds is the, is the co-conspirator witness. We know that Adnan doesn't tell them, well, this is what he's going to say, and this is why he said it. They end up going all the way to trial, having no idea what the timeline is, what Jay said. They they, they were given Jay's statement the day he testified to review. So, th- so there, there was no time for them to like verify or check or do it. So a lot of the criticisms of Gutierrez are, you, you have to keep in mind, she was horribly handcuffed. She did a terrible job. But on top of that, she was she was horribly handcuffed because we can look at it and be like, well, we figured out that it was that he was a track practice and the and that he was here at this time and he was here at this time. But they went to try. She went to trial having no idea what she was defending against. So the question you ask you have to ask yourself is if you think that Adnan knew Jay was the co-conspirator and knew what Jay was going to say because he really did this and he was really there. If a 17-year-old would then handcuff his own attorney and not give the, not tell them, and this is exactly what I just said I don't like doing, so just re- remember that this is just my thoughts on this. This is nothing that's like evidence. But I, like I, always th- I think that what I would expect out of a 17-year-old would be, oh, it's Jay. I need to give them an excuse for what Jay said. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Jay's going to say this because he's mad at me because of this. And he's probably going to say this. Jay told me he, that that's what I would ex- me personally, what I would expect. What I wouldn't expect is I, I don't have any idea. I don't know. I don't know what Jay could say. I have no idea what he like. Like, 
you heard it like he's exasperated even on serial when he's like recalling the story and he maybe he's just a good actor but he says he's like i was like jay what do you mean jay like like what does jay have to do with anything like he was he at least was convincing to me that he was pretty dumbfounded by the fact that jay was there but what we do know is that getting back to the question that yeah it is it was very difficult to form a defense the defense was not made aware by adnan First, that it was Jay, and then once they knew it was Jay, what Jay said. You can do with that whatever you want. Well, I mean, I understand, and I I appreciate and respect the fact that you're saying we're talking about analyzing behavior, which is not super useful in the context of, like, does this prove that Anand didn't do it? But if we are rebutting folks who are saying that he is setting up these alibis, you make the point. You can't have it both ways. Like, he can't be this mastermind who's making sure to call Nisha and put Jay on the phone as an alibi and make sure he gets to track at least at some point so everyone sees him and have Asia write a letter for him saying that he was in the library and then do precisely nothing. And remember, A, Christina was very sick by the time of the second trial and that B, and I don't know if Zap, you know this, but there was a first trial and it was actually going pretty well even without some of the research that Christina hadn't done because it was because it's silly that you would think that he had done this. But anyway, I do feel like I kind of halfway knew that. I think the prosecutors mentioned that in episode three, they mentioned the first, I can't remember exactly what was mentioned, but they do mention that the, yeah. the fact that there was a first trial. Yeah. Gutierrez like made a scene at the, essentially the, the judge, she did something, the judge, basically accused her of being dishonest and she started yelling really loud so the jury could hear are you calling me a liar are you calling me a liar and then one of the jurors wrote a note to the judge and said now that you have accused one of the lawyers of being a liar do we have to start over and they're like okay mistra so they had to start over all right but yeah if you if especially if you listen to undisclosed or or non-story the book you'll hear a lot of information about christina's health and sort of that i think that's it's really well documented in those places about exactly what was going on. And I don't know if we're going to get this. We we are so far not there. But as far as, you know, another person who exhibited a type of behavior in a different case that could very easily also apply to this case, I look forward Mm -hmm. to potentially talking about that because it wasn't just the cops that were doing things that perhaps they had done before almost identically. I like that I have no idea what you're talking about. So. I know. It's a real, I'm, real I'm like, what, foreshadowing. What? What's coming? What's happening? Something is coming. Sleep, Zach. Don't worry. Sleep. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to catch up. Forget I said anything. Ellen says, is there still a chance that we could get a Bob and Bob episode with Bob Mata uh, and or Allie from the Defense Diaries on any subject matter, really? They're absolutely on fire and killing it on the Delphi case. And I would love to hear their take on Adon's case. Yes. So, uh, Bob, I, I hadn't had a chance to reach out to Bob, but through the grapevine, he heard that I had said that I'd love to have him on. And he, he is listening. I don't know if he was already listening to the reply briefs. And that's how he heard her if somebody told him, but he's listening now. But he reached out to me and said, yeah, he would love to do it. He'd love to come on and break it down. He said he's still kind of on the fence, doesn't really know which way he leans yet. But so we decided that we we're going, he wants to let the the series finish 
so he can hear. He's already heard all of the prosecutors to hear all of the the reply brief series, and then he is absolutely going to come on, and we're going to have a, a discussion about it. So, and I and I'm, I'm super. Excited. I don't know where he'll land. He may land that that he thinks Adnan's guilty or that Adnan's innocent. I have no idea. But Bob is a stand up guy. Even if we end up disagreeing, I respect him, and I know that he can come on and have a very civil conversation and a fact based conversation about the case. So. Yes, Bob Mata from Defense Diaries is coming on. And, and speaking of Bob, I just noticed somebody, uh, Jennifer, in the, in the YouTube chat. She said Bob from the Defense Diaries quoted someone who was a former police officer or chief that said that police don't try to frame or focus on someone they think is innocent, but people who they think are guilty. And that's that's kind of what I'm getting. So to me, the way I see this shaking out is that in the beginning, they genuinely thought he was guilty. Yeah. When Jay first tells the story. They genuinely believe Jay. Why wouldn't they? Right. They push him into it. They believe him. I just think that it, there came a point where they realized like, oh, no, like this guy doesn't actually know. He doesn't know where the car is. He doesn't know where any of this stuff is. He doesn't know what's going on. And at that point, they're like, well, we've come this far. We're going to keep going. Because remember, the time from Jay's first interview, his first official recorded interview till Adnan was arrested, which is a couple of hours. Like Jay gets done being interviewed, they go out to the car, they arrest Adnan. And then the second interview, they try to compare his story to the cell phone records, and that's where shit gets haywire. When they're like, nothing he said matches the cell records, nothing lines up. So I think it's very possible that at the time they arrested Adnan, I think they probably believed he was guilty, because I don't believe Jay knew where the car was. I think they were probably a little bit like, seems like he should have known where the car was. Hmm. And seems like... His story should have lined up with Jen's better than this. But, you know, how do they reconcile any of that? I mean, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but how do they reconcile any of that? Or do they just f- pretend that it didn't happen? We're going to get into all the. Essentially, they just keep bringing Jay back in. And it, it seems pretty obvious to me. They basically write a bullet pointed timeline for him. And he completely, I mean, completely changes the story. Yeah. And the reconciling it is just like, well, you know, Jay lies. So it's okay. Because he does. Yeah. Like he gives this whole story in his first interview. And then you look at the cell phone records and you're like, none of that's possible. And then the story changes to try to match the cell phone records. But then they figure out that, oh, whoops, they mislabeled the location of one of the cell towers. And so they added a place into the story that he couldn't have been because they mislabeled. So then they change it again back to a different place. It just keeps changing it. Yeah. I just didn't know if they were like, if they just tried to be like, ah, he's a pothead. So he doesn't remember everything or. They just let it go. They spin it. They they spin it at trial that he's like, he was just trying to lessen his involvement and that he was trying to protect people. But it's like nonsense, right? So like they went to Patapsco State Park, it, except for there's no possible way they could have gone. So, so, okay, well, then they went to Jen's house and they went to Christie's house and the, like none of it is protecting anyone. Nothing helps anyone else be less culpable by any of the versions of the stories. But that's just kind of the spin they give it. Hmm. Well, I'm intrigued. I, I, I just think a lot of people seem to think above and beyond what has happened with this kind of misrepresentation of the facts recently that's come out and been more public. There were always people who from the beginning and from serial and even through Undisclosed or whatever, they continue to think that Adnan is guilty. And so I'm just saying, like, something's going on there and it ain't because Adnan is guilty. So I don't yeah. know why, but the same thing that's going on there may be at play with police who just decide that someone has said that someone did it and so they're just going to stick with it forever and that the prosecution does the same thing and then you know 
I don't know. It's I just, think confessions just weigh so heavily on people, even when they're provably false. That's kind of what I I'm mean, saying. Look at, look at the West Memphis Three, the Jesse Miss Kelly confession. I mean, it's clearly provably false. Like in the recording, they're leading him where they need him to be. And people still believe that they're guilty. I mean, there's there's time after time. Look, look at this, the Stephen Avery case with the Brandon Dassey. He walked himself into it. Stephen Avery may be guilty, maybe not. I don't know. But with Brendan Dassey's account, people believe it because that's what he said when we pretty well know that Brendan Dassey had nothing to do with it. I just want to say that Nick in the YouTube chat wins the internet today. He says at one point, Jay said he was on the grassy knoll. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> what a mess, Nick. I hear what you're saying. I'm picking up what you're laying down. What a mess. Okay. F- final question. Emily says... In your opinion, after all the podcasts, all the appeals, all that has come out about false confessions and the scrutiny, why has Jay not come out to say he was a dumb kid trying to get out of something and basically just told the police what they wanted to hear and figured it would eventually get worked out? I feel like we talked about this on last year, uh, last year, last week's follow up. I also feel like we've had a lot of conversations about this, including the one live in person. So I can't remember where the last place was that we talked about our lack of surprise that he has never said that. So you want to just reiterate that? Yeah, because I think that was that was in the the live panel where we had that discussion. Okay. Um, so as, as interestingly, that is one of the things that Bob and I were disagreeing about on Twitter a couple months ago because he was he was kind of saying basically reiterating that same thing. Like Jay could be a hero. He could come out right now and say lie and be a hero. Why wouldn't he? And and it's kind of my position on that is. It's kind of what I was talking about before, right? So, like, you can't say, like, what you would do or what you wouldn't do. There are so many layers to this to begin with. One, as a white guy in the Midwest, I can't even comprehend some of the reasons why a black guy from Baltimore might not want to come out and say, oh, hey, I didn't just snitch. I lied to put somebody in prison because I was scared of going to jail. There's also the elements of a person's character and moral compass and ethics that you just can't put a meter on it. You know, like I could sit back and say, well, what I, I can't even sit back and say what I would do. I can sit back and say what I'd like to think I would do. But in that situation, I don't know. I, you, no one knows, you don't, you don't know what you would do in that. Cause, cause I mean, this, what you're talking about is for him to come out now and say, Hey, I was scared. So because I was scared of what they were going to do to me, I sent another man to prison for 20 years. That is no small thing to come out with as much as like some people may minimize that and be like, but he's the hero because of serial. He would be the hero if he did that. He may be the hero to, you know, a a bunch of middle class white folks listening to podcasts, but he may not be the hero to his friends to to his family so th- that's all i would i would say to anyone is keep that in mind that we just don't we cannot comprehend and and, and regardless if you are a person of color or you're like all, those are only getting you closer you cannot know what is going on inside of any other person and know why they may or may not do something i would also add have you heard of the internet because that is a place where people feel very comfortable making death threats on a regular basis to yeah. anyone for any reason if they are in the public eye and it's a controversial thing. I mean, I shudder to imagine 
a moment in which I am the sole keeper of a truth that is part of a highly controversial, very public problem or case. And it's I'm tasked with coming forward and saying that and then watching what happens with half of the Internet. I mean, it's terrifying. So, you know, above and beyond anything local, I, I would be very concerned and and uncomfortable with the idea he's already been in the spotlight so much and been called a liar and had domestic issues outed and all of this kind of stuff like i'm not surprised at all that he hasn't said anything and i honestly i don't know if i would and i wish i could say i was a better person than that but i i really don't know so i i, I gotta give him a weird kind of pass on that one yeah and for me it's not it's not even so much giving a pass but just a all I'll say is if Adnan is innocent and Jay truly knows nothing, he absolutely knows nothing about this. It's not that Jay did it and blamed on Adnan, but but what I believe is that he literally has no idea what happened to Hay. If I'm right about all that, I am not at all surprised that he has not come forward and being and 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 said, I'm ah, just kidding, guys. Or, you know, here, I'd like some sympathy because they, he wouldn't. I'm not surprised. That's all I'll say. Doesn't right. surprise me one bit. Right. And Nick, you know, shout out to you in the in the YouTube chat. You said as soon as Jay says he lied, people will just say Jay's lying now and Jay won't say anything because he gets laps on the wrist from the police. But it just even the first part of what you said, once you're living in a world where we, we've seen it happen, we've seen it happen with certain brothers who said certain things said they saw their brother do something or knew their brother did something. And they say, I lied then. What's in the playbook for somebody who's interested in winning and not interested in the truth is for that person to simply say, well, they're lying now. They're just lying now. So who cares what they're saying now? So I agree with you, Nick, too, that, you know, would it even make a difference? Like, what reason does he have to think it, it really would make a difference or that anyone would let it make that much of a difference other than just the court of public opinion, you know? Yeah, and I certainly wouldn't expect him to come forward now. If he was going to come forward, for those of you that listened to to the first season of Truth and Justice, you know that I actually spoke with Jay. I mean, commu- I, I I was messaging back and forth with Jay. We didn't speak on the phone. And at that point, I really thought that he may, you know, that he may come clean. We had a we had a pretty lengthy back and forth conversation. He was pretty noncommittal, really. Actually, some of my conversation, like Robbie has the screenshots. I think she put them in her book, even um, the conversations that we had. But like. He wasn't noncommittal or he wasn't committal to like say like, no, he absolutely did this. He was kind of cryptic the way he talked. But I thought maybe at that point he may because then he could have been the hero, right? Adnan's still in prison. He's still, you know, this, we're talking eight years ago. There's a lot of appeal left to go. There's a lot of stuff and he's already been shut down in these appeals. He could have then maybe garnered a little more public support if he came forward and said, no, I lied and helped get Adnan out of prison. That would not necessarily be all forgiven. But that, but that's more of a hero than if you were to come forward now that Adnan's already out. Right. Like, okay, now that you've gone through all this, you spent 20 years in prison and now you're out, you're on the outside and you're trying to start your life over. Now I'm going to come forward and try to be a, he- a hero for what? Again, not surprised. Yeah. But makes for a very interesting conversation as usual with these folks and this chat and the Facebook posts and everybody here. So thank you for keeping our brains working everybody yeah i'm very much enjoying this and i'm still trying to get my brain wrapped around this uh 
this low altitude that we're in now. And, and <laughs> that's right. Now you're a mountain goat who lives in 10,000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a heated house and everything. So mm-hmm. I think I've got, I think I'm back in the swing of things now. Uh, so make sure you tune in on Sunday. Next Sunday, we are covering the rest of the prosecutors part four. It's part to be part 4.5 in our series. Uh, because as, as you guys heard this week, it's, I took, a solid episode to go through all the facts regarding the Nisha call. And there's a few episodes like that. You're going to see episode six is going to be a two-parter. I'm learning as of today, as I'm writing, that episode nine is going to be a two-parter. What I find is when you get to a point in their series where there's something that looks really bad for the state's case, they move real fast and get past it real quick. So episode nine in one episode they break down both of Jay's interviews. So for the, those of you that are on Patreon that are ahead up on the current episodes, that's what's coming this week is the first part of their part nine, which is about Jay's interviews. And so for me, when I'm going through like, okay, let's let's not skip skippity doo past all this stuff and actually dig in. It really takes a couple of episodes to go through all of those details. But I'm, but I'm noticing the pattern. Now that I'm doing it the way I'm doing it, I'm noticing the pattern like, for Jen's interview, we're going to read to you verbatim every word from her transcript so you can see that she comes in and gives this this great story. And then the next week they get into Jay, who is the star witness, the entire crux of the state's case. And they're like, we're just going to summarize it. Uh, we're just going to, you know, here's, you know, basically he says this and basically he says that and let's move on. They spend 10 minutes covering what he said, 20 minutes trying to make it seem okay and then move on to the next interview. So I'm breaking it down one of Jay's interviews per episode. So for the for the patrons, that's what you guys got coming this weekend. For uh, for the main feed, you have part 4.5 coming this weekend. We got a ton of information coming down the pipe, and I can't wait. And I want to thank all of you, whether you're helping us out through Patreon or you're just on the main feed, every, you know, every listen you give us, every time you you buy some sheets or some Z-Biotics, all that stuff helps. Yeah, you guys are. I just want to just take a moment to tell you how much that, that we do appreciate everything all of you do and and that whatever that is, even if it's just popping in the AirPods and listening to the episode, that means the world to us. And with that, we're going to let you guys go and we will talk to you next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInASong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com designed, created, manages, and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kay Wood-Yomnik, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. 
Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney, and Zach is at Z to the Q. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. I'm recording. I think so. Oh, Viola, I need I see, Janet. I see it. Am Viola. I hooked up to an EKG or am I recording? I see a lot of <laughs> yeah. flashes and dots and no, lights. It's fine. Um, Viola, if you, look, it's lovely to see you. It really is. Every week, it's so nice to see you, Viola. Um, but we're going to need, we need Janet to do this part of it? Is that? I flatlined. While you were talking, I flatlined. Oh, no. See, I'm improvising. That was very good.